AlienLegacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at the Cage Club Network. For all things movies, media, music, comics, and more, check out CageClub.me. That's CageClub.me. No, I was updating. I didn't know you were hitting record. You're fine. Okay, Okay, terrific. Hey, everybody. I'm Nico. And I'm Kevo. And this is Alien Legacy. Almost done. Yeah, we're winding down. We've watched all the movies pretty much. We have some shorts left to go, but everything that is a feature film, we have gotten through it. Huzzah! And not just the feature films, but everything that is feature length at this point. We only have a handful of projects to go, and those would be the six shorts released to YouTube this past year for the 40th anniversary of it. Ooh, yeah, I'm very excited. We're also going to be talking about our first ever theatrical experience of Alien, the Ridley Scott film from 1979 this past year for its 40th anniversary re-release. However, first up, we have the Alien sequels that never quite were. We're going to be venturing into an alternate Alien timeline. In a lot of ways, yeah. There had always been so much hullabaloo about the amount of not quite Ripley that was supposed to be in Alien 3, and there's always been all of this kind of like, oh, this draft never got produced, that draft never got produced. William Gibson, who wrote a draft of Alien 3 in 1992, would go on to be a prolific cyberpunk writer, and as such, the attention eventually brought fans back around to his draft of the project. Which is, you know, a thing that happens. People still talk about when Kevin Smith was going to write Superman, right? Oh, and that was going to be the Nick Cage one. Especially when it comes to action films and superhero films, it kind of feels like oftentimes the studios forget that there's an underlying character that needs to be kept intact, and they're just so eager to use plots and ideas, and Alien 3 was never really a concern of Fox's. Fox's only concern was continuing the Alien franchise, but I don't really think they were concerned with making Alien 3 as it were. How do you mean that exactly? Like, they weren't focused on making Alien 3 its own individual film? I don't think they were focused on making Alien 3. I think they were just focused on making a third Alien film. They didn't care what the plot was, they didn't care who was in it they were just really concerned with making sure that trademark got back out there and they produced a few more action figures okay yes i definitely agree with that assessment of the franchise as we have watched it i think that they haven't wanted to put you know anything bad out there i think that they've tried to make good films and failed sometimes but their chief concern certainly in the middle there was not having any cohesive narrative it was just getting butts in the seats and there are so many different versions of Alien 3 that were in pre-production, partially produced. The William Gibson draft isn't the only famed version of Alien 3 that we never got. In fact, as we mentioned in our episodes for it, the earliest drafts of Alien 3 and the earliest trailers had the Xenomorphs and the Whalen yutani space crew heading back to Earth. I guess because this time it's like personal or something? I mean, it has to become personal at some point, doesn't it? Although I'd say if it's going to be personal for anyone, it's isn't it personal 
off of the xenomorphs, the humans are the ones who keep coming and poking them and, you know. I mean, didn't the xenomorphs kind of, like, kill a whole lot of people in the first place? Okay, yeah, I guess I'm kind of arguing that you can't be mad at the hornets and my girl. I guess you can't, you know? That was, um, gonna get edited out completely, but that was 20 seconds of stunned <laughs> silence. I guess you can't, you know, I hear the argument, you can't be mad at the bullet, or, like, can't be mad at the the soldier who's gotta be mad at the war. But, you know, yeah, if Anna Chumsky, or Chumsky, Clumps, Chump, Chump, Oh, she's on Veep. Yeah, if Anna Chumpkumpski, I'm so sorry, I don't know how to say her name, I'm so glad she's had such an incredible career that it's spanned multiple decades and she's been on such an award-winning show and in such a culturally relevant movie, I'm sorry I can't say your name. But she was the My Girl! She's the My Girl from My Girl! She's the My Girl from My Girl, right? And I feel like, yeah, you know, it's not like her character was like, I'm going to become an exterminator and I'm going to kill every hornet. There will not be a hornet left, God as my witness, I will raise! Hornetlanta! Okay, okay, okay. So speaking of bugs, yeah. this draft is really funny because I enjoyed this draft a lot. Though I think the thing that took me off guard the most was that it really is start to finish about Bishop. Oh yeah, completely. And I'm not sure if that's just because of how powerful a performer Lance Henriksen is, or if it's just the fact that Hicks isn't really capable of picking up the leading slack that Ripley leaves behind from being so absent from this draft of the film but it's definitely bishop focus and what's not from bishop's point of view is about bishop as a matter of fact the way that the william gibson draft of alien 3 surfaced in a true form because it's been circulated for years was number one a five-part dark horse comic as well as an audible exclusive two-hour audio drama the two-hour audio drama is pretty much exclusively from bishop's point of view with little bits here and there while the comic kind of sources perspectives a bit more. I would even go so far as to say a lot of the morality play that is this story is sort of Bishop observing the conflict between the UPP and the Wayland yutani side and he has his little monologue at the end where he says humanity has a greater enemy that perhaps they can unite against and that's, you know, what all of it is sort of ramping up towards I would say. And, you know, beyond the fact that the lesson of this film is whether you're down with UPP or Waylon Yutani. Yeah, you know me. But at the end of the day, they're trying to rephrase it as forget the Cold War and we're all one species trying to fight alien insects. Like, this was such a product of its time. You can imagine the Scorpion's Winds of Change playing at some point during this. <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's dance in style, let's dance for a while. This definitely evokes a lot of Cold War thoughts, which is what its intention was. And while in many ways we do still need a lot of these sentiments today, the period of time that it was focused toward is not exactly identical to the same things that are happening today. So it feels pretty dated. The plot is essentially Bishop finds himself floating through red space instead of boring white people space. So the reds accidentally get xenomorphed, and then when Whalen yutani gets Bishop back, they get xenomorphed. 
Yeah, that's pretty much the plot of the whole thing. There are some evil scientists, because of course, there's some good guys. But I think something that this movie miss movie, you know, I'm really glad I called it that, because that was even going to be my point. Something that this treatment missed was the alien films come to life through performance and direction, and it just couldn't jump to life that way. Mm. I'm really glad that I read the comic and listened to the audio drama. I think the two things came together to paint a really dynamic picture of this story but at the same time i don't know that i even really cared about any of the characters yeah and i don't know which annoys me more in the end the contrived way that there was still an alien egg in the film that we ultimately got alien cubed or the fact that there was alien eggs hiding in bishop's guts and they just didn't notice that i mean they're both not great but i think the one that we didn't get is ultimately worse so hey we have something to be thankful for when it comes to alien cubed i liked a lot of this story but i definitely see what you're saying where it feels a little bit more like a digression from what the alien films have been previously and speaking of digression there were things in here that i don't know made any sense it seemed a little bit like newt had no purpose in this story which i mean she kind of doesn't but there were things like what are cufflinks this line was so important newt not knowing what cufflinks are that it came up in the audio drama and the comic book i don't know what like are you trying to say that like because here's the thing newt grew up on that space station she's not like a wildling yeah there's that exchange with her and wells and the thing about not telling but even that's never picked back up on so i don't know is that perhaps a remnant of the fourth alien movie that we didn't ever get that was a follow-up to this that people just forgot to pull out of the treatment perhaps well it's really interesting you should say that because it wasn't easy to find too much information about this script because something excellent about william gibson that i gotta say is the guy's a professional and has never had anything really bad to say he says that this was actually his first attempt at working on a screenplay and it was also one of his first major work for hire which was a piece that he would never own that would always belong to a third party he took a look at the first two films and said i'm not trying to necessarily come up with the end of alien i want to just come up with what would feel like the third part of a triangle not necessarily the final piece of a trilogy but the third part of a triangle so no one would say i looked at this thing and couldn't figure out how to connect the dots which i mean there's no artistry in what he's saying but there is some structure and i appreciate the structure and he said that he eventually did get a final draft involved and the entire thing he did all together one line came over that's it just that barcode tattoo moment in the film Mm -hmm. that's it that is the only thing that held over in any form from his original script and he actually genuinely thought that this would be dead forever and he was quite shocked when dark horse reached out to him and said we want to do something with the screenplay essentially because he never thought anything would come of something he didn't own dark horse had access to it because dark horse worked with who owned it it's also not surprising to me that Dark Horse would do everything they could to work through every single piece of alien canon they could work through just before the Fox merger. It seems like no matter what we do, we can't get away from this Disney-Fox merger as it relates to HTML projects. Well, one could argue it's hard to get away from in media and pop culture, period, but I think that's a different, larger discussion.
And speaking of sequels to Alien that never really happened, Alien Isolation is a video game that was released in 2014 following Amanda Ripley taking place 15 years after the events of Alien, set in an Alien Aliens era kind of universe. The film follows Amanda as she works as an engineer in an attempt to find her mother, which leads her to her own battle with the Xenomorphs. Now, this was not by any means the first Alien video game, and as a matter of fact, Alien has had video games going back as far as 1980. All in all, there have been something like 30-something video games between Alien, Predator, and Alien vs. Predator, which ironically has the most games of any of the three. Yeah, but that makes sense to me in a way. There have also been card games, a Hero Clicks set, or I'm sorry, Horror Clicks set. I know Hero Clicks from superhero miniature gaming. I don't really know Horror Clicks, but I believe it's probably, you know, same thing. Sounds fun. We have seen all sorts of different Alien operating platforms, whether it's an Atari, a Super Nintendo, any number of forms of PlayStation, or even the Amazon Echo operating system, which I can't say or it will trigger the one right behind me. Look out! There have been tons of Alien games, and Alien Isolation is just the most, or was at one point the most recent, game in a long line. It had a powerful following based on the fact that it utilized Amanda Ripley, Ellen Ripley's canonical daughter from the first few films. Yeah, a character who's only mentioned once or twice and has not really been seen or touched on, but from the very beginning of watching this, it really changed my perspective on the Nostromo incident and how this really affected Amanda Ridley's life. I have thought about it, but it puts such a vivid face on the tragedy, and the fact is, it's the same universe, so she could, in her quest for getting answers about her mother, just as easily be sucked into an incident like this. If there's one thing that we've learned about the Alien franchise, it's that that seems to be a recurring theme, is mankind's folly at its own curiosity. While it's hard to talk about the plot of a video game in the same way you talk about the plot of a film, because video games are much more meant to be experienced than watched, they did a pretty good job adapting this into a watchable film. There were some tricky cuts here and there, but for the most part, I enjoyed what we were given. It follows Amanda as she works in Wayland yutani and finds out that there is a space mission to recover the flight data information from the Nostromo. This leads her to a space station, which is then taken over by Xenomorphs. This poor family, man. It's like Angela's ashes in space. One of the things that I very much enjoyed was that Amanda Ripley fit out our mold of the Xeno gal. She's strong and independent with a background in what she's doing that makes her a credible source on it. And makes her someone that you would believe could be a survivor in this situation without it being ridiculous. Yes, I absolutely agree. She has the weird, death, sad, detached thing that every single Xeno gal needs. It did keep freaking me out when they kept calling her Ripley, though, because I was like, but she's not the Ripley? Can you call her by her full name or something? It's confusing me. And that's actually really part of the thing that I think is so funny. When we talk about the Xeno gals, there's four. There's Ripley, Lex, Shaw, and Daniels. And then I guess Ripley, again. Right? So that's why I'm like, Amanda. But Amanda's not a super commanding name. There's no reason it can't be. I'm just talking about names. Right? And like, we can't even be like A Ripley and E Ripley because number one, E Ripley sounds like it's going to steal your credit card information. A Ripley sounds like you're not 
not sure which one you're talking about. And then you've just got Lex, Daniels, and Shaw, who all sound like the names of underwear models for GQ. So does GQ have underwear models? Probably like ladies, but like they should have men. Anyway, this game was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed spending this time in the Alien universe. There were a lot of things that kind of felt similar between this and Aliens 3 by William Gibson. There were some, oh look, creepy Wayland yutani science people, blah blah blah. I mean, again, that's just recurring tropes of the Alien franchise. There's always the evil scientist. I found something pretty cool when I was reading up on the game. Apparently, the studio sent over a box of stuff that was in storage from the production of the film, and it was a whole bunch of stuff, like the blueprints for the Nostromo, and set photos, and all of this amazing stuff. One of the people who was on the team for the game described it as, it was like opening that briefcase from Pulp Fiction, where the white light starts pouring out of it. They couldn't even believe that they had struck such enormous gold. They were so eager to make a game that felt like it actually could be set between Alien and Aliens. They said to themselves that they weren't going to put any props or any sets or anything that they didn't feel could have been made in 1979 because they wanted to keep that authenticity. And I really feel that they did in so many ways. One of the things that we sometimes knock Prometheus and Covenant for is how advanced the technology is compared to Alien and Aliens. And, you know, you could say that the crews of those journeys did probably have fancier digs than the Nostromo crew. But still, this disparity and disconnect because technology has come so much further and you kind of have to respect it because time marches forward. But the people who worked on this really wanted to make sure that they were paying loving tribute to the originals. And it is such an engaging story. And if you can forgive knowing that it's basically just the cutscenes from a video game, it pieces together into a narrative that is pretty unique among many of the Alien films and a crew dynamic that is pretty unique as well. I think in a lot of ways this and the William Gibson treatments that were turned into the podcast and that were turned into the comic, they themselves are pretty good pitches for actual potential films. I think they could easily be turned into those and I would love to see some sort of alien pentology because the natural thing to follow an adaptation of the actual William Gibson draft would be the fourth film that we never got where Ripley finally does return. It's set up with Hicks sending her off in the escape pod in the Alien 3 draft and it was supposed to be picked back up on with Sigourney Weaver having a much bigger role in a huger battle between all humanity and the Xenomorphs and in that regard then it would be like there's Alien, Aliens and the final fourth film with smaller films in between focused on first Amanda Ripley and then focused on Bishop. If you put something in the narrative of this story that you could tie into the fifth and final film I think that would be a really cool pentology to tell. And you know what's funny like immediately I'm like oh my god if that had been the real canon I would have needed to be allowed to write the sixth film in which Newt is kind of like Laurie Strode and she's gotta like get back at Michael but like there's a xenomorph after her and it wears a weird freaky William Shatner mask because I guess aliens find Captain Kirk scary too and I think this could work but for my money there are so many ways in which alien isolation 
feels more like an alien film than did Covenant, than did Resurrection. Really, even then did Prometheus. And I guess that's because Alien Isolation was the first time they said, let's go back to the original trilogy in spirit. Yeah, I completely agree. It's not that Covenant doesn't feel like it's part of the alien universe, but there's a specific narrative that the original stories had and a specific vision that isn't really what they're doing as much anymore. And I've really come to appreciate what they do now in a new light through this podcast, but it was really cool to watch something that made me feel like I was seeing Alien again for the first time. And that's what Alien Isolation, even with all of like the bumps and the cracks, that's what it felt like to me. It was great performances from the cast. You know, I thought that Marshall Waits sounded familiar from something and I couldn't figure out what. I don't think he was whoever I thought he was, but it did turn out that he was Gorman from Aliens. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that. And I love that you said something about making you feel like the way you felt when you watched the original Alien. I felt like when Amanda does the bit about trying to figure out if she's going to overshoot the wreckage or not, and she talks about her number of rotations and what she's facing, they worked so hard to make her so brilliant. And I see why she's latched on with the fan community. She's an incredible character, and she's certainly someone I would want to see explored more. It would be a worthwhile story to see the secondary Xeno gals in Newt, in Amanda Ripley, in Call, have further stories, perhaps in some of these one-shot films that we got on YouTube that I've never seen. And you know, I don't think that there's any reason that we shouldn't see more of that in the future. If anything, Star Wars has proven that fan enthusiasm can lead to change in your fan creation in positive ways. I know that there has been a lot of toxicity, but there's also been a lot of fans that were sad about the stories that were erased by the Disney acquisition, and that's ultimately how characters like Thrawn, who had only been in the novels and never in the films, has now found his way into the Disney franchise because it's what fans wanted. There's talks that the character of Mara Jade might make the crossover to the Disney series as well because it's what people want to see and I think this is not necessarily the last that we will see of Amanda Ripley. I certainly hope not. I am so excited to see the future of the Alien franchise continue to evolve. I'd like to think of these one-shots that we're getting in this next episode as sort of like Alien Legacy stories. I enjoyed seeing Isolation as kind of like a rogue one. I don't think that the Alien franchise necessarily holds up as well as some of the other major franchises we have talked about or will be talking about, but I do think that this has been a phenomenal experience, and Kevo, until we return, to take one last look at my favorite film franchise of all time. Where can everybody find us online? Well, you can find the two of us bumming around the Facebook page for this old show, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Real Nico Kevo Action, which is also the handle for our joint Instagram and Tumblr account. Our joint Twitter account had to be a little bit shorter, so it's at Real Nico Kevo Ack, A-C-K. You can find my private, you can find my personal Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at Kevo Really, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And you can find the super fun, super cool, super inclusive, super 
superhero stories that we tell over at KidRiotComics.com. Nico, where can the folks find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing network on shows like Now and Again, which I do with my childhood best friend Chris Podcast, where we talk about the evolving phase of pop music in the form of the Now That's What I Call Music series. Don't forget to check out X's for Podcast, which happens twice a week, where we talk about all sorts of X-Men projects from all sorts of angles with a particularly queer bent. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at Nico Acton, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, and until we come back to finish off this alien situation, we will see you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.